0: You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Annie in the US. And
1: I'm Johanna in Austria. And you're listening to your favorite International podcast. That's right. Thank you so much for
0: joining us for another episode of Murder Mystery and the Macabre. If you're new here, we are two online friends from different continents who have never met in real life. And we co-host this podcast that is filled with just random episodes featuring all the terrible and creepy stuff that we find ever so fascinating. It's true. Somehow you out there listening right now have found our Creepy little podcast and decided to join us. And so we want to say thank you. Today is exciting. I can't wait to hear what Johanna will be telling us in this episode. I'm seriously. Y- y'all, this is this is good.
1: So today is going to be about a topic that I have been wanting to cover ever since we started this podcast. It's something I grew up with. Something everybody over here grew up with back in the day. And something that I don't know, turned into kind of a meme for people on the internet, especially people from the US, I think. The brutality and creepiness of European and especially German fairy tales. Yes, German and Austrian... Or in general, European fairy tales in their original version are often very brutal, but I think same goes for these kind of stories from other continents. The world has always been very brutal and dangerous, and fairy tales were a way to work through these experiences and give a warning to the listeners. First of all, what are fairy tales? Well, um, fairy tales are fictional stories that often involve magical and enchanting elements. They typically feature characters such as princesses, princes, witches, talking animals, monsters or other mythical creatures. They very often have a moral lesson or a warning or some special themes and they used to be passed down orally from one generation to another. Many of these stories typically begin with the phrase Once upon a time, or how we say in German Es war einmal vor langer Zeit And they are set in a fantastical world filled with castles and forests and magical realms. They often involve a protagonist who embarks on a journey or who faces challenges and they may encounter various obstacles or villains before reaching a resolution. The stories convey universal themes and important messages about morality, bravery, kindness and the triumph of good over evil. Fairy tales are timeless and have been an important part of many cultures around the world. They can be found in different variations and versions across various countries and regions. Yeah, I kept thinking
0: as well, just once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. I mean, they, <laughs> they've, they've, they've come through right to modern era, right? So yeah, this is great. I'm really excited for this.
1: I will, of course, focus on German and Austrian stories because that's the ones I grew up with and these are the ones I'm most familiar with. Or let's say the German and Austrian versions of stories. First of all, I would like to explain that there are differences between what we call Märchen, Sagen and Legenden. So Märchen is easy, that's the fairy tales in English. And i get back to that in a second. Sagen and Legenden. I don't know if you differentiate between... These two in in English, like a saga and a legend. Is it also like a saga is more stories of peasants to warn from things like creatures that that lure you down into something, and legends involve saints or heroes or yes, royalty itself. So. Because like mm, the Odyssey yeah. is
0: a saga, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, it's also mythology, the Iliad, right? Yeah, but that's mixed yeah. in too.
0: That's the whole.
1: That's the thing. Mm. It's so hard because the lines always blur, blur. in my opinion. I agree. Opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but for this episode, we forget about Sagen and we forget about Legenden and all that stuff. We're here for the fairy tales. Yes. And we distinguish in German, and I'm sure you have the same in English, between Volksmärchen, so folk tales, and Kunstmärchen, literary fairy tales. And a literary fairy tale is a fairy tale where we know the author. I think the most famous examples are the stories of Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, He wrote The Little Mermaid, Thumbelina, The Ugly Duckling, or The Little Match Girl. If you're on Patreon, that's the one I read for Christmas a couple of years ago. He also wrote one of my favorite fairy tales, The Red Shoes. Mm. My sister loves The Red Shoes. But yes, of course, Hans Christian Andersen was not German or Austrian. He was Danish. If you want to read literary fairy tales by a German author, you can read Wilhelm Hauf stories. He wrote, for example, *The Little Mook*. Or you can read E.T.A. Hoffmann, Ernst Theodor Amadeus Hoffman. His most famous fairy tale is *The Nutcracker* and *The Mouse King*.
0: Oh, I have a Mouse King Christmas ornament from seeing the annual Boston Ballet *Nutcracker*. He's great. He's got like his sword is, if you know, you know, his mm-hmm. sword is a cocktail sword with an olive on it.
1: Then we have Jakob and Wilhelm Grimm. And yes, they are known for fairy tales such as Hensel and Gretel, Little Red Riding Hood or Sleeping Beauty. But they didn't write those tales. Not really. What they did was they collected German folk tales and they wrote them down in books. And they weren't the first one to do this, but in the 19th century, during the so-called Romantic or the Romanticism era, those kind of fairy tales gained a lot in popularity. And so the two brothers thought, first of all, they thought it's important to collect those folk tales, And they also kind of saw their chance of some success, I, I think. Sure. And... The brothers Grimm regarded folk tales as an authentic expression of their nation's literature and culture, and their objective was to conduct thorough research on these tales and produce a scholarly work. Leading them to develop a systematic approach for gathering and documenting folk stories or folk tales, and they did actually lay the foundation for the study of folklore, which I find interesting. Really,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they worked on a collection of folk tales from 1812 to 1857. And their work underwent numerous revisions and editions, expanding from 86 stories in the beginning to over 200 in the end. Okay, so they started to collect those fairy tales that were told all over Germany. And I think some, me too, have this romanticized idea of the brothers traveling all over Germany and they finding old storytelling men and women and they're sitting in front of fireplaces while listening to them tell their stories and they write it down and... What do I know, maybe sometimes they did that, but also most of the time they had their own acquaintances tell them the stories that they heard when they were kids, or they had wet nurses in aristocratic households tell them the tales. So their sources were more middle to high class, and also they not only heard German fairy tales, but also tales from France, England, and so on. And I don't really hold it against them. I think so many folk tales were known in different countries, and there exist so many versions of the same story. People used to adapt them and make them work with wherever they lived. Oh yeah. Also, people have been moving around since the dawn of mankind, and so it makes sense that they would also take their stories with them, and these stories would evolve, change over time. But you know, the themes and morals they would stay the same.
0: Definitely. I mean, they're they're sort of the original urban legends, the original
1: yeah, absolutely warnings,
0: yeah. right? Yeah,
1: Sleeping Beauty, for example, the first known version, so the first written-down version was from France. There also exist early versions from England, I think, and the brothers used a version that was a retold and adapted version of Charles Perrault's version from his collection of fairy tales, Histoire ou conte du temps passé, that's the book of Charles Perrault, or Little Red Riding Hood, for example, this story was also known in different versions all over Europe. So now we learned the basics about fairy tales, folk tales, literary fairy tales, but I think we're all here to hear the real deal now. What are some brutal German or in general European fairy tales? I think let's start with one that was used by Disney and let's see how it differs from the original version. I'm not sure, maybe by now all of you out there know this one already and how brutal it was in reality, Maybe it's new for some, so let's start with Rapunzel or how Disney called the movie Tangled. Any, you saw the movie, right? I did because Paul Paul made me see it.
0: Yeah, it was it was cute. So, in Tangled, Rapunzel is a young woman with insanely long hair and a pet chameleon who has spent her entire life locked in a tower by the wicked mother Gothel. One day, a charming thief named Flynn Rider stumbles upon Rapunzel's tower while trying to escape from the palace guards. Rapunzel seizes the opportunity and strikes a deal with Flynn to help her escape the tower and experience the outside world in exchange for returning a stolen item. As Rapunzel and Flynn embark on their journey, they face various obstacles and along the way, Rapunzel discovers her true identity as the Lost Princess and learns about her magical hair's healing and youth-restoring properties. Rapunzel makes her way to the palace, where she was born, and there she reunites with her parents, the king and queen. However, Mother Gothel manipulates Rapunzel and convinces her that leaving the tower will only bring danger and heartache. In a climactic confrontation, Flynn sacrifices himself to save Rapunzel from Mother Gothel, but Rapunzel's tears restore his life. With the power of her hair and Flynn's support, Rapunzel confronts Mother Gothel and breaks free from her control. In the end, Rapunzel is reunited with her family, and Flynn, whose real name is revealed to be Eugene, becomes a changed man, leaving behind his life of thievery. The kingdom celebrates their return, and Rapunzel cuts her hair and embraces her newfound freedom and her role as princess.
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so now what happened in the original story? It's not the same. <laughs> is it, is it so different? slightly different? Is it? In the original story, a pregnant woman develops a craving for the Rapunzel plant, which grows in a neighbor's garden. The neighbor's garden belongs to an enchantress called Gotel. In a Rapunzel plant? Is that actually a thing? Yes, Rapunzel. Rapunzel is a green plant. You can eat it as a as a salad. It's also called Feldsalat, or in Austria, it's known as Vogelsalat, so bird salad. I have it in my garden. And in English, I checked, of course, it's called Lamb's salad. Do you know it? No, Lamb's. Is it like lamb's ear lettuce? Is it a type of lettuce? Maybe, yeah, maybe it's the same. Maybe
0: that would make sense. Maybe okay.
1: So okay, she, she sees the Rapunzel plant in the neighboring garden, and she has this intense craving for this salad. <laughs> I guess it was different times, and I guess pickles were not a thing then. Or chocolate.
0: Oh, chocolate. Or chocolate. ice cream. Anyway.
1: So she whines and whines and whines about wanting to eat the salad, and her husband is like kind of annoyed and overwhelmed by her desire and her whining. And so he climbs <laughs> into the garden, and he steals some Rapunzel from the garden, and he's caught in the act. And, of course, the enchantress, Frau Gotel, is very mad because somebody just broke into her garden and wants to steal. And she wants to, I don't know, murder him. (laughs) So he strikes a deal with the Enchantress. In return for sparing his life, he promises to give her their firstborn child once it's born. (laughs) I mean, what a time to be alive. You Just spare me, take my child. Chances of the child surviving infancy are low anyway, so... It does really
0: seem like the de facto, like, out for getting in trouble (laughs) back in the day. I'm just thinking Rumpelstiltskin. Like, how many people Mm -hmm. just had to just, they just, just take the firstborn. It's fine.
1: (laughs) So, okay, the baby girl, it's a girl, is born. They call her Rapunzel. (laughs) (laughs) And true to her words, Frogotel appears and takes the baby away. Rapunzel grows up, and she becomes a beautiful young woman with long, long golden hair, and the enchantress locks Rapunzel in a tall tower without any stairs or doors. The only way in or out is through Rapunzel's long hair, which she lets down from the tower's window. Years later, a prince is hunting in the woods and comes across the tower and hears Rapunzel sing, and he falls in love with her voice and returns to the tower many times to see her, and eventually he figures out the secret to entering the tower. And the secret is, you have to climb up Rapunzel's hair. And so he yells the words that Gotel always uses, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, lass dein Haar herunter. And Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And so the prince climbs up, and he and Rapunzel fall in love, and the two develop a romantic relationship. However, there's one problem. Gothel learns about their meetings and cuts off Rapunzel's hair, and she then banishes Rapunzel to a faraway desert where she lives in misery. Hmm. And when the prince visits Rapunzel again, he yells again, let your hair down, and so the hair comes down, and he climbs up. And he doesn't know it's a cut hair, and he's met by the enchantress, and she pushes him from the tower, causing him to fall into thorns, and the thorns prick and pierce his eyes, and the prince is now blind.
0: Oh no. And
1: for years the prince wanders around, blind, until one day he finally hears Rapunzel's voice in the desert. And Rapunzel recognizes him, and she cries tears of joy and sorrow directly into his eyes, and this way she restores his eyesight. They are reunited, and the prince takes Rapunzel to his kingdom, where they live happily ever after. Okay. Um, I
0: mean, they still lived happily ever after. It's lucky that she was able to cry directly into his eye holes.
1: When I was a child, the thought of the prince who couldn't see wandering around really made me sad. (laughs) I remember my fairy tale book even had a picture of that scene of the prince with some rags over his eyes.
0: Oh no, were the rags bloody? I don't know why that detail feels important to me, but like,
1: were they? No, they were not bloody. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
0: Aye, aye, aye. Ah, no pun intended. So what was the moral of the story? Don't steal? Or don't don't steal?
1: Uh, Don't go behind your parents' back. Don't give away your your child to some (laughs) enchantress next door. Enchantresses in general.
0: Bad news. Mm. Yikes.
1: All right. What's next? How about some good old German cannibalism? Yes, please. How about (laughs) Hensel and Gretel? So once upon a time, there was a poor woodcutter and his wife who live in a small cottage with his two children, Hänsel and Gretel. The first wife and the mother of the children had passed away. He remarried and now the family is struggling to find enough food and the stepmother convinces her husband to take the children to the forest and to abandon them there so that they wouldn't need to waste any food on Hansel and Gretel, because there just isn't enough food to feed all four of them. That's cold. That's ice cold. So cold. Hansel overhears their plan, he's a smart boy, and so he gathers white pebbles from the ground to leave a trail, making sure that he and his sister can find their way back home. The next day, when they are taken into the forest, Hansel secretly drops the pebbles, and when he and Gretel are left alone, they simply follow the pebble trail and successfully return home, much to their stepmother's dismay. Can you imagine? I'm sure they arrive back home like, guess who's back? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was so mad. Jaw-dropping. I know. <laughs> <laughs> However, their situation doesn't improve, and the stepmother convinces the woodcutter to abandon the children again, okay. and this time they take them deeper into the forest. Yeah. And Hansel tries to gather pebbles again, but he can, can't find any white ones, and all he can do is leave a trail of breadcrumb the next day when they are walking into the forest. All right, so they're low on food, but this little fool wants to waste it making breadcrumb trails. <laughs> Yes, so this is from the piece of bread that the father and his wife gave them as kind of a provision for the next day. Like, I mean, we're going to leave you in the forest to die, but at least you have food for half a day. Yeah, let's prolong this if we can for you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's pretty much wasted because when the father abandons them in the forest, the kids try to follow the breadcrumbs back home, and they realize that the breadcrumbs are gone. They were eaten by birds. Oh,
0: man. The dad probably ate them on his way home.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Little trash panda. <laughs> so they are lost and hungry and cold and Hansel and Gretel wander through the forest until they stumble upon a house made of gingerbread, cakes and sweets and they can't resist the temptation and they begin to eat pieces of the house. Unbeknownst to them, the house belongs to a wicked witch who lures children to her dwelling to fatten them up and eat them. And she captures Hensel and imprisons him in a cage, intending to fatten him for her meal. Gretel is a girl, so she has to do the chores <laughs> around the house. The girls have to do the chores, always. Well, Hensel is just sitting in his cage getting fatter and fatter. <laughs> fine. After a while, the witch starts to check if Hensel is plump enough to be roasted by touching his index finger. And so the kids realize that the witch has really poor eyesight and Hensel offers her a bone instead to touch. <laughs> And now the witch is thinking that Hansel's finger, but he's still too skinny. And this goes on for a while, but soon the witch gets really tired and decides, uh, even though Hansel is still skinny, it's time for her famous kids in blankets recipe. So she tells Gretel to start a fire and to check if it is already hot enough. And Gretel is smart because she plays dumb. And she says she doesn't know how to check. And so the witch, who is already pretty annoyed by having these kids around, tells her, like this, and she opens the oven door and sticks her head in, because uh, the witch is clearly as sharp as gingerbread dough. (laughs) Gretel seizes the moment and pushes the witch into the oven, locks the door, and then she and her brother watch the witch burn to death. Then they frolic through the house, gather all the valuables, and somehow, miraculously, they find their way home, where they learn that their stepmother has passed away, she actually has starved, and now they can live happily ever after. Apparently, they are not mad at their father for trying to get rid of them. Okay. This one's my favorite because I love gingerbread and sweets and also
0: the righteous burning of a witch. Again, though, the moral here is eluding me.
1: Don't trust your stepmother. I mean, that's a solid one. We've all learned. Uh, always. Also, don't, don't touch the belongings of others. I guess. Don't, but I guess. But they live happily ever after, after stealing from the dead witch, right? I mean, it's a gray area because she's a witch. But they get in trouble first because they are, you know, entering property that they weren't supposed to. That's (laughs) fair enough. A couple of months ago I think I saw a meme that talks about how Hansel and Gretel is about cannibalism and how it is like has a real historical background and the meme is not entirely wrong. Historians believe that this story might have been created after the Great Famine also known as the Great European Famine or the Great Hunger. And this was a severe uh, severe period of food shortage and famine that affected much of Europe from 1315 to 1317. It was one of the most devastating famines in European history, and I'm honestly not sure if we talked about it briefly in the episode called What a Time to Be Alive. Do you remember? It sounds vaguely familiar,
0: but... I swear my brain is now erasing and replacing information (laughs) at a rate faster than I can keep up.
1: I'm not sure. But in in case we didn't talk about it, so the famine was caused by a combination of factors, including adverse weather conditions, poor agricultural practices, and a series of crop failures. And in the years leading up to the famine, heavy rains, cold temperatures, and extreme weather events such as storms and floods damaged the crops and led um, to significant harvest failures. Basically, this was a was a perfect storm that was created, I think, also by the eruption of a volcano mm. in, in Indonesia or somewhere in that area, just like in the year without summer. Mm-hmm. And the crop failures resulted in a scarcity of food, leading to skyrocketing prices and widespread hunger. Many people, especially the poor and vulnerable, faced extreme food shortage, malnutrition and starvation. And the famine obviously also had economic and social consequences. The trade declined, agricultural productivity decreased and communities struggled to cope with the crisis. The impact of the Great Famine varied across different regions of Europe. Some areas, those that were heavily depending on grain production, experienced the most severe effects, and the famine led to a significant loss of life, particularly among the lower classes, and contributed to social unrest, migrations, and increased mortality rates. So it makes absolute sense that people who had survived the Great Famine would then process the trauma with stories they told their children. Mm. This is from an article titled Discover the Truly Grim History Behind the Fairy Tale of Hänsel and Gretel by Joseph Williams, published on October 30th, 2021. Quote, The true story of Hänsel and Gretel goes back to a cohort of tales that originated in the Baltic regions during the Great Famine, volcanic activity in Southeast Asia and New Zealand ushered in a period of prolonged climate change that led to crop failures and massive starvation across the globe. In Europe, the situation was particularly dire since the food supply was already scarce. When the Great Famine struck, the results were devastating. One scholar estimated that the Great Famine impacted 400,000 square miles of Europe, 30 million people, and may have killed off up to 25% of the population in certain areas. Wow. Like one in four. Yeah. One in four died. In the process, elderly people chose voluntarily to starve to death to allow the young to live. Others committed infanticide or abandoned their children. There is also evidence of cannibalism. William Rosen in his book The Third Horseman cites uh, an Estonian chronicle which states that in 1315, quote, mothers were fed their children, end quote. An Irish chronicler also wrote that the famine was so bad, people, quote, were so destroyed by hunger that they extracted bodies of the dead from cemeteries and dug out the flesh from the skulls and ate it and women ate their children out of hunger, end quote. I'm actually working on an episode about the Donner Party and other instances of cannibalism caused by hunger. Yeah. Because we talked about cannibalism several times already, but never really in depth about cannibalism That was done in order to survive, right?
0: Yeah, and it's funny because the Donner Party is one of those cases where it's sort of like the Lindbergh baby for me. Like I have the rough sketch in my head of what happened and where it happened and how and why. But Mm. I don't really know a lot of the intimate details of that particular case. I have like four books about it waiting to be read. But this immediately reminded me of two things. First, the colony of Jamestown and Mm -hmm. just other like colonial American colonies, and they're finding evidence of cannibalism in those early European settlements here for the same reasons, you know, just starvation. And the other thing it reminded me of was after that terrible meltdown of the Fukushima nuclear power plant in Japan after the 2011 earthquake and tsunami. And I remember watching TV and they were showing footage about how all of the elderly residents were volunteering to do the cleanup to go in and and learn how to do what needed to be done because the effects of radiation wouldn't be a problem for about a decade or more. So all the Mm -hmm. elderly volunteered to sacrifice sort of the end of their lives to preserve the next generation. And I just, I remember being so moved by that.
1: Uh, Also... Fun fact, not so fun for the people back then, but almost directly after the Great Famine was over, um, it was the first time that the plague...
0: Yeah, I was just going to say. ...hit
1: Europe. Mm. Yeah, oh man. So we see fairy tales have several missions, process real events in a more abstract way, teach and warn, especially children, don't talk to strangers who live in fancy houses, don't get lost in the woods, don't touch somebody else's property... Unless you push them in the oven and watch them burn to death, I guess. How about some other fairy tales in their original versions? Cinderella, or how it's called in German, Aschenputtel or Aschenbrödel. So we all know that Cinderella lost one of the glass slippers when she ran from the ball at midnight, right? Mm -hmm. And then the prince took the very small, delicate shoe and tried to find the mysterious beauty, because there was only one woman who would fit the shoe. And he never looked at her face all night. I think it was more like a Superman-Clark-Kent kind of situation.
0: You think so? She just washed her face and put on a nice dress and she was
1: totally unrecognizing. The stepsisters and the stepmother were there and they didn't really recognize well, her. that's they true. They said too. she looked familiar, but... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So he had all the women in his kingdom try on the shoe to see if it fits, right? And when they show up at Cinderella's house, obviously the stepsisters try on the shoe but they have huge feet. Also, that caused a lot of uh, shame because I have big feet and I was like, oh, the ugly stepsisters have big feet. I hate my feet. Oh. So, well, How big are your feet? Oh. Huge. What size? Goofy size. What size? <laughs> I'm like a 39. I don't know in the US. I have, size, I have size 42. That's not that big. It's huge. No. Do you know how hard it was when I was growing up? I do. I forced myself into size 41 shoes Half of my adult life. Oh, I do.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I have friends that have the same size feet as you. Several. And it's... But you can find good stuff in clearance sometimes because it's not as often a common aside. It's
1: better now that we have online shopping. But back then it was really... Yeah, yeah. I get it. So, the stepsisters try on the shoe. They have these huge, (sighs) horrendous feet. You don't have horrendous feet. Wait till we're on wiki feet. You're going to be featured (laughs) so prominently. And the shoe... Doesn't fit, obviously, because it's so delicate. Only a princess could have such delicate feet. (laughs) So the stepmother takes a knife and cuts off the toes of the first sister, and then later the heel of the other, and the shoe fits. But there are the pigeons around the pigeons who help Cinderella all the time. And they warn the prince by saying, Kukuruku, kukuruku, blue this dim shoe. (laughs) Uh, also, of course, in the end, the prince finds Cinderella, and they marry, and everyone lived happily ever after, except for the stepmother and her two daughters, because the the pigeons peek out their eyes at the wedding ceremony. The pigeons who helped her get dressed? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> They're bloodthirsty. Did the bird say there's blood in that shoe? Mm-hmm. How fucking dim was the prince? Like... <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a glass slipper. Didn't he see the blood? It's like when shoe? I used to
0: wear jelly shoes in the 80s and my feet would be bleeding inside them. You could see the blood through my clear jelly shoe.
1: <laughs> to be fair, I don't think in the original it was actually a glass slipper. I think that's just a Disney thing. I think it was just a very, very delicate tiny a shoe. jelly shoe. <laughs> oh,
0: that's why he wasn't surprised to see blood in it. Wow.
1: <laughs> wow. Or maybe he was used... To women like me who forced themselves into two small shoes and my Same. my feet were bleeding all the time. Same, so.
0: all the time. Mine were just wide, stumpy. I have tiny little toes, but they're like flippers. I'm a very good swimmer. All right.
1: Uh, what's next? Snow White. I think <laughs> that's the Disney movie that is closest to the original. Mm. Because they kept the part about the evil stepmother asking the hunter to bring Snow White's heart, right? Yes. In the original, she also asks for the liver. And she ate both of these things. And of course, she was not knowing that the hunter had brought her the organs of a wild boar. And what else is different? The prince doesn't kiss her to wake Snow White up. He actually drops her glass coffin and on (laughs) impact, the piece of poisoned apple in her throat comes loose and she wakes up. Okay,
0: so that does feel like a more realistic scenario to me, though, than the kiss. Which is very romantic, but like, I don't know. I dated a really nice guy once who loved to pick me up and like carry me around, but he was very clumsy and he dropped me a a lot.
1: (laughs) So that that I buy. (laughs) Also on Snow White's wedding day, the evil stepmother is forced to dance in front of everybody in red hot metal shoes. And that's actually the version I heard as a kid. So I remember that vividly. Well, then she knows what it feels like to be us trying to dance around and shoot that can't <laughs> don't fit our
0: fucking feet. It's vicious.
1: uh Uh-huh. The punishments were always very vicious. I yeah. remember one fairy tale where they put the evil stepmother in a barrel with nails sticking out on the inside and they rolled her down the street. Oh, man. Sleeping Beauty. That one's really bad. I think I know a lot of people already know about it from the internet, so... I don't know anything about it. Alright, so... Remember how Sleeping Beauty is awakened with a kiss?
0: Yes, I've seen Maleficent several times. (laughs) That's how I know
1: this In the original, the prince actually rapes the Sleeping Princess, and then he leaves and marries another woman. What the fuck? Mm Mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauty gives birth to twins, and she only wakes up when one of the babies sucks on her finger and removes the poisoned needle that was still stuck in her finger. Oh my god, this is so bad. Wait, it gets worse. (laughs) Sleeping Beauty wakes up and she takes her two children and looks for the prince. And she finds him and tells him, well, you have these two kids. And when the (laughs) prince's wife hears that her husband has children with another woman, she gets so angry, but not because he raped another woman. No, no, she's jealous. And so she has the twins murdered, cooked, and served to Sleeping Beauty what so much yikes and i never heard this version as a kid and i'm honestly glad they changed it over the centuries because that's too much
0: yeah that one is too dark for children even german children (laughs) not that german children aren't like other children we just perceive them as being somehow more stoic
1: little red riding hood is so dark as well as i said before there existed so many different versions all over europe Okay, so you know how the wolf encounters Little Red Riding Hood who is on her way to the grandmother's house, right? Mm -hmm. And he asks her where she's heading and she says, to bring my grandmother some cake and some wine. And so he runs to the grandmother's house, right? And he arrives before Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah? Yeah. And in some older versions, (laughs) it's so bad. The wolf kills the grandmother, then roasts her. He roasts her? Here it's just,
0: it's like implied that grandma was killed, maybe, and then he put on her clothes,
1: but like... Okay, so he roasts the grandmother, uh, he puts on her clothes and and lies in bed, and then when Little Red Riding Hood arrives, he serves her the grandmother roast, (laughs) and he's acting as if he's her grandmother, right? And then he tells her to get undressed and climb into bed with him. No. In most versions, the girl can escape, sometimes through her own wit and strength, sometimes with the help of others. Uh, Remember that I mentioned Charles Perrault before, who wrote the version of Sleeping Beauty that the Brothers Grimm used. He also wrote an early version of Little Red Riding Hood. And in that, the wolf eats the girl and that's the end. And that's kind of a (laughs) real bummer. (laughs) Like, everybody's dead,
0: just the wolf is really full. Just that wolf is so full. I think I'd rather be eaten by a wolf than eat my grandma. That's so much darker. Yeah. Yeah, no. As a kid, there's nothing. I used to have this little doll that would like, you could flip it upside down. And, you know, when you put the skirt down, it was grandma. And then if you push the skirt the other way, then underneath was the wolf.
1: I never heard the story, the version where she has to eat the grandmother. (laughs) So how the story goes here, I don't know if they still tell it like this, but that's the story that it was at least up until the 90s. So the wolf comes to the grandmother's house, he swallows her whole and puts on her clothes and lies in bed. And then Little Red Riding Hood comes and then comes the whole, you know, oh my, what what big eyes you have and what huge mouth and what sharp teeth and these kind of things, right? And so the wolf also swallows Little Red Riding Hood whole. So he's completely full. He has this huge belly now. He's had too much people. He falls asleep and he starts snoring. And a hunter passes by the house and he hears the wolf snoring. And he's a hunter and he knows that's a wolf snoring there. So he walks into the house and he sees the wolf sleeping there with his huge belly. And he cuts the belly open and out jumps Little Red Riding Hood and the grandmother. They are alive because he just (laughs) swallowed them. And so they take huge, huge, huge stones, put it in the belly, sew the belly back up, and then they hide. And then the wolf wakes up and he now has some kind of acid reflux because his belly is full of stones that he doesn't know, and he also doesn't realize that he has a huge scar now on his belly. and he just stumbles outside because he wants to get some water from the well and he bends forward to drink from the well and the, st- the stones are so heavy that it pulls him down and he falls into the well and he drowns <laughs> wow. <Are you> I) still- <laughs> version everybody knew here as a kid wow what else the frog prince you might all know the princess had to kiss it's always a kiss true love's kiss yes i love frogs and uh she kisses the frog and turns him back into a prince right because he had been cursed well here is the, or- the original version and i actually heard this version as a kid yeah so the curse was broken by smashing the frog into a wall <laughs> The princess didn't know that, but she was so disgusted by this slimy frog asking for a kiss that she took the animal and threw it against the wall with all the strength she had, and boom, instant prince. (laughs) Oh, no. And I hated that part as a kid, because I don't want anyone smashing living creatures into the wall. Oh, no, that's not a good
0: idea. You're going to have little girls, like, violently heaving tiny creatures Mm -hmm. into walls trying to find a prince. That's, um... Yikes. No, well, our version. I'm just over here telling kids that this isn't a great story because you really shouldn't handle frogs that much because they absorb everything through their skin. Yeah, your version is much, much worse. It's, that's terrible.
1: Mm-hmm. These are just the more known fairy tales, the better known fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm. I said before they collected more than 200 fairy tales and that's just a tiny part of the rich European folk tale treasure. And then add on to that all these literary fairy tales and myths and sagas and legends and so on. I think... Time for one more fairy tale. Yeah, I think we could listen to one of the lesser-known fairy tales of Jakob and Wilhelm Grimm. Annie, would you read it with your lovely, lovely voice? I would be happy to. Just as a source, you can find all of Grimm's fairy tales on grimstories.com. That's with double M because of their name, Grimm. And they're translated to different languages. They're, they're in German, English, French, Spanish, I think, and several others. I used the English version, so I didn't have to really translate them.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to read the English version, and I've just tweaked it a tiny bit here and there because, just to make it make more sense, I think. All right. This is called The Robber Bridegroom. Quote, Once upon a time there was a miller who had a beautiful daughter and when she was grown up, he became anxious that she should be well married and taken care of. So he thought, if a decent sort of man comes and asks for her hand in marriage, I will give it to him. Soon after, a suitor came forward who seemed very well to do, and as the miller knew nothing to his disadvantage, he promised him his daughter. But the girl did not seem to love him as a bride should love her bridegroom. She had no confidence in him, as often when she saw him or thought about him, She felt a chill in her heart. One day, he said to her, You are to be my bride, and yet you have never been to see me. The girl answered, I do not know where your house is. Then he said, My house is a long way in the wood. She began to make excuses and said she couldn't find the way to it, but the bridegroom said, You must come and pay me a visit next Sunday. I have already invited company, and I will strew ashes on the path through the wood so that you will be able to find it. When Sunday came and the girl set out on her way, she felt very uneasy without knowing exactly why, and she filled both pockets full of peas and lentils. There were ashes strewed on the path through the wood, but nevertheless, at each step she cast to the left and right a few peas on the ground. So she went on the whole day until she came to the middle of the wood, where it was darkest, And there stood a lonely house, not pleasant in her eyes, for it was dismal and unwelcoming. She walked in, but there was no one there, and the greatest stillness reigned. Suddenly, she heard a voice cry, Turn back, turn back, thou pretty bride, within this house thou must not bide, for here do evil things be tied. The girl glanced round and perceived that the voice came from a bird who was hanging in a cage by the wall, and again it cried, Turn back, turn back, thou pretty bride, within this house thou must not bide, for here do evil things be tied. Then the pretty bride went on from one room into another through the whole house, but it was quite empty and no soul to be found in it. At last she reached the cellar, and there sat a very old woman nodding her head. Can you tell me, said the bride, if my bridegroom lives here? Oh, poor child, answered the woman. Do you know what has happened to you? You are in a place of cutthroats. You thought you were a bride and soon to be married, but death will be your spouse. Look here. That's creepy. I know. I don't love that, to be honest. It's not, it's really not welcoming at all, is it? (laughs) Look here. I have a great kettle of water to set on. And once they have you in their power, they will cut you into pieces without mercy, cook you, and eat you, for they are cannibals.
1: So much cannibalism. so much. Unless I have pity
0: on you and save you, all is over with you. Then the old woman hid her behind a great cask where she could not be seen. Be still as a mouse, said she. Do not move or go away, or else you are lost. At night, when the robbers are asleep, we will escape. I have been waiting a long time for an opportunity. No sooner was it settled than the wicked gang entered the house. They brought another young woman with them, dragging her along, and they were drunk and would not listen to her cries and groans. They gave her wine to drink, three glasses full, one of white, one of red, and one of yellow, and then they cut her into pieces. The poor bride all the while shaking and trembling when she saw what a fate the robbers had intended for her. One of them noticed on the little finger of their victim a golden ring, and as he could not draw it off easily, he took an axe and chopped it off, but the finger jumped away and fell behind the cask on the bride's lap. The robber took up a light to look for it, but he couldn't find it. Then, said one of the others, Have you looked behind the great cask? But the old woman cried, Come to supper and leave off looking till tomorrow. The finger cannot run away. Good point. Then the robbers said the old woman was right, and they left off searching and sat down to eat and the old woman dropped some sleeping stuff into their wine, so that before long they stretched themselves out on the cellar floor, sleeping and snoring. When the bride heard that, she came out from behind the cask, and had to make her way among the sleepers lying all about on the ground, and she felt very much afraid lest she might awaken any of them. But by good luck she passed through, and the old woman with her, and they opened the door, and they all made haste to leave the house of murderers. The wind had carried away the ashes from the path, but the peas and lentils had budded and sprung up, and the moonshine upon them showed the way, and they went on through the night till in the morning they reached the mill. Then the girl related to her father all that happened to her. When the wedding day came, the friends and neighbors assembled, the miller having invited them, and the bridegroom also appeared. When they were all seated at a table, each one had to tell a story, but the bride sat still and said nothing, till at last the bridegroom said to her, Now, sweetheart, do you know no story? Tell us something. She answered, I will tell you my dream. I was going alone through a wood, and I came at last to a house in which there was no living soul, but by the wall was a bird in the cage who cried, Turn back, turn back, thou pretty bride. Within this house thou must not bide, for evil things do here betide. And then again it said it. Then I went through all the rooms, and they were all empty and it was so lonely and wretched. At last I went down into the cellar, and there sat an old woman nodding her head. I asked her if my bridegroom lived in that house, and she answered, Oh, poor child, you have come to a place of cutthroats. Your bridegroom does live here, but he will kill you and cut you into pieces and then cook and eat you. But the old woman hid me behind the great cask, and no sooner had she done so than the robbers came home, dragging with them a young woman, and they gave her to drink wine thrice, white, red, and yellow. And he kept interrupting her, and yet she said again, Sweetheart, the dream is not yet ended. And then they killed her. And cut her into pieces. And one of the robbers saw a gold ring on the finger of the young woman, and as it was difficult to get off, he took an axe and chopped off the finger, which jumped upwards and then fell behind the great cask on my lap. And here is the finger with the ring. At these words she drew it forth and showed it to the company. The robber, who during the story had grown deadly white, sprang up and would have escaped, but the folks held him fast and delivered him up to justice. And he and his whole gang were, for their evil deeds, condemned and executed. End quote. That's, uh, dark. I mean, the birds didn't eat her peas and lentils. Yeah. So.
1: The birds were also nice. I mean, the one bird warned her, so. It's true. Yeah. Yikes. That's rough. So there are many, many brutal fairy tales. I think it could be fun if we could record some of them for Patreon. I don't know if you're interested. Maybe you reading them in English and me reading them in German. That'd be fun. Just let us know. Let us know if you're, if you're interested in that. Nowadays, there is a debate on whether fairy tales are too brutal for kids, if they are too old-fashioned, if they transport the wrong values, and... I'm not a mother, I'm not an educator, and I'm honestly rather traditional and old-fashioned when it comes to these things. I never liked things to change, and I think everything was great back then. Not truly, but you know what I mean. I do, I'm like, yeah. I have to say that not all fairy tales are suitable for children. And like it's the case with, for example, the, the horrible versions of Little Red Riding Hood or Sleeping Beauty. I'm honestly glad that those things were changed over time. Oh, yeah. I do think fairy tales are great and they can teach valuable lessons, especially when it's like um, good fighting evil, standing up. You know, children feel so tiny and helpless. And in the stories, it's always like helpless people, but they stand up against a huge threat and they succeed, and it's also about being kind and and so on. Good things happen to kind people, these kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, there are outdated tropes as well. I think we can all agree that all those damsels in distress waiting to be saved, even though I love them as a kid and I still enjoy them, I sometimes now roll my eyes and I think there should be a good mix. Like, maybe also read your kids' stories about princes and knights being saved by the princess, for example. Oh, yeah. They do exist. When it comes to the question, are even the tamer versions too brutal for children? I think that depends on your child, on their age. Parents need to be the judge of that, I think. Mm. I will leave you with the thoughts of the Austrian psychologist Bruno Bettelheim. Well, he was Austrian-born. He was born in 1909 uh, and he later lived in the US and became a US citizen Bettelheim, who was the son of a secular Jewish family, had been arrested in 1938 and he had spent a total of 10 months in the concentration camps Dachau and Buchenwald. He was released in 1939 as part of an amnesty on Hitler's birthday or for Hitler's birthday. And once released, Bruno Bettelheim left for New York City and he later taught at several schools in the US, including Stanford University and the University of Chicago. Anyway, what does he have to do with fairy tales? Well, he wrote a book called Märchen, or the English title is The Use of Enchantment, the Meaning and Importance of Fairy Tales. So in it, Bettelheim states that fairy tales serve as a means for children to understand and navigate their inner world, their fears, their emotions, and these stories provide a symbolic representation of the child's unconscious desires, conflicts, and anxieties. By engaging with the character and events in fairy tales, children can project their own feelings and experiences onto the story, helping them make sense of their own lives. And Bettelheim emphasized that fairy tales often contain symbolic elements and archetypal characters that resonate within universal human experiences. That's what I said before, fairy tales are universal. Definitely, The struggles, the challenges, the triumphs depicted in the stories can provide children with kind of a framework for understanding and dealing with their own struggles and emotions. For example, a tale about a courageous hero facing and overcoming adversity might inspire a child to confront their own fears and challenges. Furthermore, Bettelheim believed that fairy tales offer some moral guidance and help children develop a sense of right and wrong. Through the character's actions and consequences in the stories, children learn about values such as kindness, honesty, uh, justice, and these moral lessons, he argued, are internalized by children and shape the developing sense of ethics. Bettelheim also emphasized on the therapeutic aspects of fairy tales, and he suggested that they offer a form of catharsis and emotional release, that children also have to be scared sometimes. That's how he argued that that was the catharsis. Like grown-ups who watch horror movies, for example. Sure. Yeah, but like on their level. (laughs) Exactly, on their level, yeah. And by engaging with the stories, children can experience a sense of identification with the character, and they can also find solace in the resolution of the narrative. And this process can help children work through their own emotional challenges and conflicts.
0: Definitely, yeah. Absolutely agree with that. And I think, you know, the other thing with kids, kids are so individual in what scares them. And so you might have a rough idea of an age range for scary things, but there's a pretty wide range out there. And it varies so much from kid to kid, like absolutely, my yeah. nephew watching Jurassic Park when he was nine and I saw it at 15 and it terrified me, but like in a fun way. But I was like, he's too little and he loved it at nine. He was totally fine with it. uh. Those were terrible, thank you. Those were really, (laughs) sincerely terrible. Did you
1: know the original versions that I
0: told you? No. Really? Mm Mm-mm. No. I think think I'd heard in passing you mentioning things before, but we've never really gotten into the nitty-gritty of it. No.
1: I think because it's so ingrained in me, because that's the stories I grew up with. I mean, not the, the really hardcore versions, but yeah, they were kind of a little bit scary and brutal. I'll always assume that everybody knows them, but... Of course, you have your own stories over there, and yeah, your own emotions. are much
0: milder for sure. <laughs> for sure. something good. You go first. Speaking of Rapunzel, I'm getting my hair cut next week. <laughs> uh, I was kind of leaving it for a while just to see how long I could sort of stand to let it go. and this is this is longer than I can stand to let it go right now. So I've been sort of reminded that once once it touches like the top of my bum, it's too heavy. I can't wear it up. It's too heavy. Uh, When I get it wet, it like snaps my head back like I'm going to get whiplash in the shower. Like it's tiring to try to wash. It's too much hair. Generally, I kind of like the weight of my hair. Like people are always like, isn't the weight of your hair bother you with your headaches? But generally, it's almost like if you take a gentle handful of your hair, if you have hair, Slowly and gently pull it. It feels really nice, like that gentle pressure on your on your scalp. But now it's it's too much. So I'm going to get it several inches cut off of it and and have some color put into it. Usually I have them dye out all the red and make it like uniformly dark. But we're traveling for a early birthday celebration for my dad, and he still thinks my natural hair color is red. <laughs> so I'll put red well, leave the red in it, put more red into it. We'll see. It'll be fun. I don't know. Maybe get one of those keratin blowouts to, like, calm the frizz. We'll see. It's exciting. I don't know. I don't I don't go to the salon very often, so.
1: I watched a show you recommended. What was Chury that? Shuri Duty. Oh, did you like it? It was, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was not laughing a lot. A little bit, but it was not super funny, but I think it was so wholesome. And that's what I liked about it. It was so wholesome. Yes.
0: It was very, very wholesome.
1: I really liked the guy. I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone, but... No. Go watch Shuri Duty. It's really uh, unique. It leaves you feeling good. Yeah. Totally. And the one like. guy who
0: always had me laughing was the one, like the weird roommate who had like yeah, the yeah. chair legs and the, the chair pants. <laughs> I was pens. laughing
1: so much about <laughs> when, when the one guy tried to get out of jury duty. What he said, and everybody was completely shocked. Obviously. <laughs> It was so that was good. that was really the one instance where I was laughing so much because it was so stupid.
0: It was it's so true though. And then you saw at the end well, we're not gonna spoil anything, but it's Yeah yeah. It's hilarious. the end and that
1: was really good.
0: It's really, really funny. <laughs> we just got to the part in the Nick where they're doing malaria uh for syphilis. Mm-hmm. So I remember so finding good, out right? about that in the John List one. I was telling Paul all about it.
1: <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> does he like it now? He does. He
0: likes the music. Okay.
1: That's funny. I thought that he would have maybe a problem with it because that was the one thing that threw me off in the first episode, but only just for like in the beginning. Yeah. But then I got into it and I was like, yeah, that that's fine. That works.
0: Yeah. He's okay with it. He's he's into it now. I think he, he put off watching it for a really long time. He just wasn't interested in... And- I think he thought it was just going to be like a boring, I make a lot of this period stuff that I like, he just isn't that interested in. So like I watched The Crown by myself and Mm. stuff like that, which I'm like, you would like this if you watched it, but all right. So if you enjoyed this amazing, amazing episode by Johanna, as always, please take just a quick moment and leave a rating and a review. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Is that the right lingo? I think maybe. Yes. If you have any questions about where to find us, how to get in touch with us, you can check out our website, which is com. You can email us at freshellpodcast at gmail.com. And you can go check out our Patreon. Patreon.com search fresh hell podcast You'll also find a link on our website come say hi on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok now. So it makes it easy to share us with a friend of yours, find something weird that will speak to them. And anyway, we've got two Facebooks. We have a Facebook page and that one you can just like and follow. And that's just, you know, basically weekly or so, you know, that not too much going on there, but it'll remind you when there's a new episode out. And then we also have our Facebook group, which is just the nicest, nicest group of people on the internet, sincerely. Mm-hmm. So, you can come say a hi over there. What do we share in the Facebook group? We share uh, stories, obviously, true crime stories, our pets. I share jewelry, antique jewelry all the time, because I love it. I share memes. Yep, lots of memes, <laughs> lots of old-fashioned, lots of homes, lots of zillow gone Wild, porn. house porn, carpets. Carriages, yeah. yeah. Any
1: kind of it's just just as random as this podcast. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah.
0: That's it. <laughs> a
1: very eclectic,
0: super group. eclectic. So come say
1: hi. Please tell your pets we said hi. Hug them, cuddle them, put them under the blanket. Jem is still sleeping under the blanket. It's still cold in our house, and also May is really rainy here, which is nice because I don't have to water the plants, but also I can do no yard work. <sighs> it's a whole thing. Be kind to your pets, Mm -hmm. be kind to others, and be kind to yourself. That's the hardest part of it all. It is. Yep. And if you're going through hell, just follow the white pebbles and keep (laughs) going. Tschüss. Bye.